Right now, it's pretty easy to see all the challenges and problems in our world. I mean, this week, the entire sky darkened and turned the color of Mars. Now, it's kind of interesting, and many times it's helpful to discuss the challenges and problems in our world and things that need to change. And we sort of all have opinions about that, right? But one of the cool things about today and the next few weeks together is that we actually get a chance to not just talk about the problems, and we're actually going to be working together with a group of churches that are not just going to talk about problems. We're going to be talking about and actually being a part of the solution. Again, we're not just going to suggest solutions or talk about solutions. We have a chance, and you and I are invited into a chance to be part of the solution. Before we get to that, though, we actually have to talk about a problem. And uh, this mango is a problem. I don't know if you can see it, but there's sort of some liquid and some juice going on in here. And basically, my family did not consume this mango quickly enough. And or there was a bug that got into it and started the rotting process. Now, I don't, again, know how this translates to video, um, but the liquidy weight and feel of this is quite disgusting and quite gross. And even though this mango was only in our house for about two days, it sat somewhere too long. And now it's not good for anyone. And James, brother of Jesus, is actually going to talk about something that sort of relates with this mango, but it might be a little bit tough to hear. If you're not a Christian or you're not a religious person or you are a religious person, you are a Christian, um, this is something that's not coming from me. This is coming from James the brother of Jesus. And basically what he's going to say is, give it away before what you're holding is spoiling. And this mango is definitely spoiling and is going to go in the trash right after this. Um, basically at that point, then it's not good for anyone, right? When it's in the trash, it's not good for anyone. Um, so James, the brother of Jesus, was the, actually the leader of the church in Jerusalem in the first century, right after Jesus' death and resurrection. And James was sort of the leader again, and he wrote this letter to the people in the area around his church. And what he says is sort of applicable to all of us, um, including those of us right now. We're going to be in James chapter 5. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, you can open that up in the events section. You'll find our notes there. You can also go to the notes section of the chat, and we'll also have them on the screen as well. We're going to start in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Again, this is a little bit rough to hear, so follow along with me here. Look here, he says, you rich people. And basically at this point, he's sort of saying, rich people, I want you to listen up because I have something I want to tell you. And basically, I think this is the point where sort of a, we start thinking like, well, I'm not rich, so this doesn't necessarily apply to me. And, you know, sort of move on and start looking somewhere else. And many times when we read the scriptures, we start reading a section, we start reading something like this and we think, well, this doesn't apply to me or, or this author doesn't know what I'm, what I'm, you know, my life and doesn't know me. And so we just sort of look around like, well, I'm not sure who he's talking to, but he's probably not talking to me because, well, I'm not a rich person. But this is the time every year where I sort of remind all of us that we might be more rich than we think we are. Because we don't, we don't think we're rich because we don't feel very rich. But the reality is for most of us, we haven't felt rich since maybe we were a young kid and we got our first paycheck or we got paid something, we got a big lump sum of money for a gift or something. And we sort of started to feel rich at that point. But I think most of us, we don't feel rich for several different reasons now. Um, the first reason is that we don't have any financial margin. Most of us don't have any financial margin. That no matter how much money comes in, if there's no margin, there's not going to be any peace. And many of you are making more money than you ever thought you would make, and yet you continue to feel financial pressure. You feel financial pressure that most people in the world wouldn't understand and it wouldn't make sense to them. Um, the second reason that we don't feel rich is because we know what everyone else has. We know what everyone else is driving, wearing, eating, where they used to be traveling to, and Instagram and social media sort of give us an, a look into that for many people and sort of compare our lives with someone else and it seems like 
their life is better. Their children's lives are better. Their whole life is just better and prettier than mine. And so my sucky little life over here. And so we start to think like, well, why can't I have more? Why can't I do more? Why can't I travel more? And the thing is that there's a reality that we might not necessarily feel, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. That if you work in the Bay Area, if you have a job in the Bay Area, you are probably a part of the one top 1% of wage earners in the world. And the goal isn't to necessarily make you feel guilty. As we're going to see in just a little bit, the goal is to help us to feel responsible. Because the reality is there's probably millions, if not billions of people around the world who would look to us and consider us rich. So back to James for a second. In the first century, um, pagans and, and Christian, or sorry, I should say first century Jewish people actually sort of had this um, sort of assumption that they believed about rich and poor people. Now, the assumption basically was that rich people are God's favorite people. They're sort of favored by God, and that's why they have all that they have. And consequently, poor people and many times sick people are sort of grouped into that. God must not love them so much. And God obviously loves rich people because they have all this stuff. And poor people, you know, like God must not love so much because maybe something they did in the past or something their family did in the past. And so the theory sort of is that the more you have or the more wealth that you have, the more that God must love you. So then Jesus comes along and Jesus sort of reminds everyone that, that it's not that, that rich people aren't loved more, it's that rich people are responsible for more. That rich people are more accountable. They're expected to do more and to give more and to serve more because they have more. Now, James sort of leans into his first century audience and he says this. He says, look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. And this is sort of a shocker that James is sort of saying like, you rich people, your future is not as secure as you think it is. To which many of us sort of push back and be like, well, like rich people have the most secure future. They don't worry about their future. They don't worry about money. And James is smarter than that. And he knows that the more that you have, the more you have the tendency to worry about what you have. That really um, rich people have uh, the propensity to make a huge and terrible mistake. And many of us have made the same mistake. And I would argue that it's probably an indicator that you are actually rich, that if you've actually done this, you are probably richer than you think. And the, the mistake is this, rich people have a tendency to put their trust in their riches rather than the one who richly provides. And this is something poor people would never do. Poor people never put their trust in their riches because they don't have any riches. But as soon as you and I begin to accumulate without really even meaning to, our trust migrates from God to our stuff and accumulating and securing and, and hoarding our stuff. And no matter how much you have, it's never going to be enough because there's never enough. And there's sort of this endless sense of what ifs, like what if the stock market, what if my child, what if my spouse, what if I get sick, what if my whatever, what if, what if, what if. And the problem with most of that is the specifics, that actually preparing and planning for the future is good and wise. But preparing for an endless list of what-ifs is not. Because who among us had a global pandemic on their bingo card last year? The reality is that without meaning to, our trust migrates from our Heavenly Father to our things and what we can do with our things. And consequently, I think statistics prove this, the more we have, the quicker our hands close around it. James, brother of Jesus, is addressing those of us the world would consider as rich. 
He's continuing on verse 2. He says, Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. Basically, you have so many clothes that your clothes are just sort of laying around that they're actually being destroyed by the moths. That you've hoarded and saved so much stuff that they're actually being destroyed and, and decaying. And basically, his point sort of is that you have so much, you have held so much for yourself, and now it is not good for anyone or anything. And you probably had an experience like this. A few days ago, I was looking through one of those drawers where you sort of just put stuff and it sort of just stays there forever. It never gets used again and it never gets thrown away. And sort of looking through something and I found a perfectly worthless old cell phone. Now, if I had like given that cell phone away when I got my newer one, I'm sure someone could have used it. Or maybe I could have sold it when I got my newer one and, and used the money and given it away to somebody. And, and of course, somebody could have used the money for something better. But unfortunately, I did what I think I imagine many of us do. We think, well, maybe I could use that someday or I might need that someday in the future. But the reality is, it disappeared into that drawer and it was no good to anyone. And James is sort of reminding us that it's not so much a matter of what comes in, it's actually a matter of what stacks up and how much do we allow things to accumulate. Continuing on, the very wealth you are counting on will eat your flesh like fire. And James is basically assuming that everyone who has anything is accountable to God. Now, why would he think that? Well, for some of you who are a little bit unsure about a personal God or about judgment and, and accountability, and, and I completely get that, but James believed that God was involved in the details of our lives, every detail of our lives. That James believed that there was actually life after this life. And James believed that we were accountable to God for how we live this life, and he believed that all because of an experience he had. He saw his brother crucified, and then he knew where the body was buried, but then he had a conversation with his brother after he rose from the dead. And if you have a conversation with someone after they come back from the dead, you're going to begin believing in eternal life as well. Continuing on with verse 3. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your, your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. And he's basically kind of telling them why this will eat away their flesh like fire. And he's basically saying like, all this stuff is corroding, it's decaying, it's sort of becoming less and less valuable. And that thing that you thought was a good thing uh, by hoarding and collecting and by storing away and saving all that stuff, there's going to come a day when that good and responsible thing is actually probably going to testify against you. That someone is going to look at all that you had and they might think negative thoughts about it. And so we would ask the question, well, why would we hoard so much when our life is so short? And I think this is a good question for anyone to answer, whether you're a religious person or not, or a Jesus person or not, or maybe you're part of another religion. That this is an important question. Why would we hoard as if we're going to live forever? And I sort of compare that to, have you ever had to you know, take care of or clean out your, your parents' house or your grandparents' house after they maybe passed away or maybe they had to move to a nursing home? Or maybe some of you have been responsible or been willing to be responsible to help someone move and you walk into the house just full of stuff. And I think when we get in those situations, there's sort of two sort of strange perspectives that I think a lot of us feel. That one is that we basically look at all the stuff and think they never could have used all this stuff. There's no way they wore all those clothes. There's no way they sat in all that furniture. And then maybe on the flip side, some of us think like we want to like take some of that stuff to our house, which is probably already full of stuff. And at some point we find ourselves looking at things that a family member or a friend considered as valuable 
And now we're just trying to figure out how to get rid of it or what to do with it. And in some ways that that stuff that was so important to that person actually sort of testifies negatively about them. And maybe this will be motivation for some of you parents, but basically our kids are going to have some sort of story or belief or they're going to see some example from us about how we viewed and valued our stuff and how we used it. And what we do now will determine the story that they tell and the example that they see in us. And James is sort of pointing to this over and over again. He's sort of referencing this that basically saying, come on, rich people, like you've hoarded, you saved, you collected all this stuff and you've had it for so long that it's actually sort of losing value slowly. Like it's not increasing in value. It's actually you are losing value in this thing. And now when you get rid of all this stuff, it's not going to be as valuable to anybody. And when that stuff, when you're gone and that stuff is still remaining, it's going to actually testify against you, not for you. He continues on verse 4. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. And at this point, he's sort of addressing the wealthy landowners. And, and most wealthy people at this time in this context were either merchants or, or landowners. And so the wealthy landowners were sort of notorious and known for uh, mistreating and taking advantage of the people who worked for them. And they were really criticized for it a lot of times because the people who worked for them had no recourse. The wealthy landowners would sort of set a price to work for them. And then when it came time to be paid, they would sort of decrease and lower that price for this circumstance or that circumstance or this thing. And the workers had no recourse. That these wealthy landowners were, were using their power and leveraging their power against those who had less power. And so if you're an employer or you're a manager or you're just somebody looking for a loophole to get out of doing something for someone that you said you would do or you're supposed to do or you're supposed to pay for a certain thing, here's what James would say to you. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. That these people were taking advantage of those with less advantage. And his point to you and to me and really anyone with any resources or any sort of advantage is basically resource people shouldn't look for loopholes to get by doing less. They shouldn't do that. But particularly Jesus followers should never sort of do this. They should always be looking for opportunities to give more, to do more, and to just generally be more generous. So a couple questions for discussion. Number one, how have you looked for loopholes to get by doing less, giving less, serving less. How could you look for opportunities to do more? Now, if all there is to this life is this life, then you can forget all that we talked about. Because if all there is to this life is you're born, you live, you accumulate some stuff, you go on some vacations, eat what you want to eat and do what you want to do, and then you die and that's it, then there's really no point in listening to all of this. Um, because basically you could sort of say like, I don't know anyone anything because I earned every penny I have. However, if there is more to this life than this life, then we should listen to what James says. Because B James basically says, I saw my brother crucified, and then I knew where his body was buried, but then I had a conversation with him and I saw him resurrected from the dead. So because of that, I believe everything he talked about when he talked about eternal life. And again, if there is more to this life than this life, then there probably is more than what you've assumed about this life. And here's what Jesus said, if that's, if you're all curious, basically Jesus said, you are not an owner, that none of this stuff is yours for yourself, that basically you're just a manager and managers are always accountable to the owners and God owns everything. James is not done. He says this in verse five, you have spent your years on earth in luxury. 
satisfying your every desire. That basically you've become greedy, that you sort of assume that if it comes to me, then it must be for me, and I can do whatever I want with it. Now that that's not how it works in God's economy. That might be how we think it works here, but that's not how it works in God's economy. That just because it came to you doesn't mean it is just for you. Now the next part of this sort of goes over our heads and that when James wrote this and then when it was sort of told to the people or read to the people in church or however they got this information, this would have been pretty powerful. Because what James was sort of saying is you thought you were right, you thought you were doing well, being responsible, collecting and hoarding all this stuff. But here's what he says that sort of flips over our head. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. And here's the part. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter, to which we all sort of say like, well, what does that even mean? Well, here's what that means. Rich people had calves. Rich people had cattle. And so rich people occasionally would choose a calf and set it aside in a separate pen. And they would feed it very well. And then they would guard and protect it because eventually they thought they might have something to celebrate. Now, when we have something to celebrate, it's, you know, Thanksgiving's getting closer, Christmas is getting closer. We go to the store, we go online, and we order a turkey or ham or whatever, and we're good. But people back then had to think way ahead of time. And so here's sort of the trick and sort of the interesting thing that James is doing with this illustration. And basically he's sort of saying like, you rich people thought, think you're so smart. You think you're planning ahead so well, but you're actually planning for your own embarrassment. And you're fattening up a calf thinking you're going to have something to celebrate. But at the end of the day, this is going to be something that's actually an embarrassment to you. And you're fattening yourself up for slaughter instead of a celebration. And then James sort of looks at them and I think he looks at us and sort of says like, you think you've accumulated and hoarded all this stuff and it's going to be a point of celebration. But at the end of the day, this is going to be something that actually is an embarrassment to you. And something sort of interesting about James is James was actually um, martyred in the year 62. And this book that James wrote actually became and gained some significance um, about seven years after his death. Because about seven years after his death, the rich people that he was addressing in this book were all sort of surrounded in the city of Jerusalem by the Roman legions. And they had all their stuff with them. But eventually they all died, were killed, were murdered, were, were taken off as slaves. And they had their stuff, but their stuff was eventually carted off to Rome. And those with the most lost the most. And did James know that this was going to happen when he wrote this? Well, we're not quite sure. Did James know that what happened to these people would eventually happen to probably all of us? Well, yes and no, because I think James did know that what was going to happen to them is really what's going to happen to all of us at some point. That our days, that one day our lives are going to be over. And what we did with our stuff is going to say a lot about us. That when we cling to our stuff now, we face embarrassment later. Because for many of us, we find security and, and value and we sort of cling to this stuff and take comfort in this stuff now. But eventually, a little bit later on, we're probably going to find that stuff to be a source of embarrassment. That when we cling to stuff now, we face embarrassment later. When we give to others, we reflect Jesus. Now, I'm going to let you sort that all out individually because I can't tell you exactly what to do with that because I don't know your circumstances exactly. Some of you are kind of new to faith. Some of you are following Jesus for a long time. And some of you have a lot of questions. And I, and I get that. In the meantime, we as a church are connected to a group of churches around the country that are going to take action. Towards the end of each year, we practice being rich and serving, giving and loving those in our community. It's called Be Rich because of something Paul said to Timothy that inspires 
and motivates us. It says this, command those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This year, we're partnering with 68 churches in 21 states and six countries and hundreds of nonprofits. Now, these nonprofits are not all faith-based. They're just nonprofits that are doing amazing work in their community. And we've strategically chosen as a church to partner with local nonprofits rather than compete with them. So for instance, we don't have a food bank or a clothes closet because we've decided to partner with these organizations that are already doing great work in our community. And we partner with them throughout the year. And then periodically, we ask them, how can we help? And we choose to focus our energy in two areas of partnership, children and homeless or near homeless. So this week is Give. Next week, we're going to hear from Daniel Strickland, an amazing pastor who's going to share about serving. And then the following week, we're going to hear the powerful adoption story from Sam Collier, who's going to be talking about love. And we really want everyone to participate in every phase of this journey, because this really is a participation goal, an engagement goal for everyone. So today, though, we're asking 100% of you to give. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, if you hate Christians, if you're connected to our church, you're not connected to our church, or you're kind of new, or you just don't even really want to ever be connected to a church again, or maybe you like this message, or maybe you did not like this message, we want to invite everyone to participate. We would love for everyone to participate. Because here's our promise to you. We are giving 100% of it away. None of this money is going to stay in our church for our programs or our ministry. So here's the ask. We are asking everyone to make a one-time gift of $40. And if everyone gave that amount, according to our average attendance, we could be sending thousands of dollars into our community. Now, you might be saying like, well, you're talking about $40 like it's something easy to give and I don't have $40. And that's okay. No guilt. We just want to invite you to participate in whatever way you can. And for some of you, you might need to give way more than $40. But if everyone does what they can, we can make a huge difference in our community. Um, so the organization of the big project that we're going to be working through during this campaign is uh, with an organization called Foster the Bay. And they are helping provide foster families for each one of the 10 counties in the Bay Area. And they are currently expanding to county number 9 and county number 10, Napa and Solano counties. Um, since 2015, when they started, they have placed 291 children in loving homes. They've partnered with 117 churches and recruited and trained 154 foster families and 516 support friends. Those support friends are the families that sort of support each foster family and help them along in this journey. Um, helping them start in these last two counties in the Bay Area is going to be a game changer for them. But it could be life changing for the families they support. As a Jesus follower, really extravagant generosity is the complete appropriate response given the extravagant generosity God has shown all of us. Giving to support the work of an organization that is going to be loving and caring for abused and neglected children as beloved sons and daughters is exactly what God has done for us. So it seems like the natural appropriate response to help and support this, this organization. So I'd encourage you, don't miss this opportunity to partner together, to work together, to make a huge difference in the communities around the Bay Area. So this is how it works. You can click Be Rich at the top of this page, or you can head to our website, nlnc.org, and then you can look for and scroll down for Be Rich, the Be Rich logo. So let's be rich, let's give, let's serve, let's love. Let's show our community that our Sunday services, our religion is not just about Sunday services and songs. 
that it is about compassion and generosity that reflects the compassion and generosity of our Father in heaven. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this season, God. Thank you for this opportunity to really be challenged a little bit, to, to practice our faith and to live it out, and to be reminded that this is really what we are called to do. And so, God, would you help us to give, serve, and love in the areas and the opportunities that we have before us? I pray that you would help each one of us to find a way that we could give something to help support this great organization of Foster Bay, to care for vulnerable and abused and neglected children, and to help support families that need help. So God, would you please do something amazing with our gifts, that it would be something that you would work inside of us to help us to, to not just be hoarding and keeping and using things for ourselves. You'd do something inside of us. But then with our, this gift, would you go and do something amazing in a child's heart, something amazing in a mom and dad's heart, something amazing in a foster parent and foster family's lives. So God, would you help us to partner with what you're doing? Would you help us to be generous and willing to share? Would you help us to give, serve, and love? as a reflection of you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.